Hi there, welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast about public speaking and speaking up. If you struggle with saying what you want to say on stage, on camera, or in conversation, you're in the right place. I'm Angela Lucier, your host. I'm also an author, professional speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. If you want to practice the tips you learn on this podcast, you can check out a Speaker Sisterhood club as a guest for free. Learn more at speakersisterhood.com. Hey there, welcome back. How are you? Uh, I wanted to give a quick recommendation. If you're looking for a new TV show to watch and have felt stuck, like you have exhausted all your options, I actually, I have a recommendation. It's not actually a new show though. It came out in 2008, and I think I might be the only person left on the planet who hasn't seen it. (laughs) But in case you're the other one who hasn't seen it, (laughs) might I recommend Breaking Bad? (laughs) I'm, um, I'm in episode, I'm in season three right now, and it's so good. I mean, I knew that it got a lot of attention and, you know, a lot of awards, but it just wasn't the kind of show I normally watch, so I just kind of ignored it, and then finally gave it a shot and it's just so well done has such good writing acting the show is a masterpiece and i just i really enjoy every episode so if you're looking for something beyond your typical sitcom drama this show has it all and i usually can't handle things with a lot of violence but for some reason it doesn't really bother me so if you're looking for something really exciting and well done. Breaking Bad, it's on Netflix right now. So there you go. All right, today's show, I am interviewing Hope Timberlake, who was recommended to me by a friend. And I am a huge fan of Hope's book and Hope after getting a chance to read her book. And I hope you will check it out as well. It's called Speak Up, Damn It, How to Quiet Your Fears, Polish Your Presence, and Share Your Voice. It was just released last month, and I have no doubt this book will be a success because it is so great. There's so much actionable advice inside of it. There's so many exercises you can try. And if you're someone who's afraid of speaking or having trouble speaking up at work or you know, in your, in a team or at home, these are exercises you can do by yourself that help you to just start building the skill. So before we jump into the interview, I'll just tell you a little bit more about Hope. Hope Timberlake is a speaker, trainer, and author who focuses on the communication side of leadership. She is passionate about persuasive messaging, relationship building, executive presence, developing others, and elevating the voices of women and those underrepresented in leadership. She works with executives and their teams across many industries at companies including Airbnb, Autodesk, Bank of America, BlackRock, Dropbox, Intel, PlayStation, Splunk, and many scaling startups. You can learn more about her at her website, hopetimberlake.com. And there's just so much in this episode. If you're interested in building your speaking skills, we we cover a wide range of topics from her book, and I have no doubt you'll find something of use for you as you continue building your skills. So without further ado, here is my interview with Hope Timberlake. Hope, welcome to Claim the Stage. Thanks, Angela. So excited to be here. 
I love talking to other people in the field because we have obviously a shared passion and shared experience in terms of, you know, spending time on the stage, helping people build their craft and just get more comfortable with it. And I know I always have more to learn. And I had the benefit of reading your new book that just came out last month. Let me just tell everyone the title speak up, damn it, how to quiet your fears, polish your presence and share your voice. Awesome. Awesome title. I love it so much. And we're going to talk all about that book here today, but before we do that, I would love if you could just share a little bit of your background. Cause I don't know any people working in this field who like in high school were like, I'm going to be a speech coach. (laughs) So what was your path like? I love this question, especially coming from someone who is in the same field, because you're right. Like you, I don't know anyone who said, yes, this is my dream job. (laughs) I didn't know this was a job. Yeah. So, you know, here we are. Uh, Yeah. So my path is a little circuitous after college. I had a million different things I wanted to do in college. And then afterwards wound up working for a doctor, the, um, the breast care center, which is a breast cancer department at the University of California, San Francisco. And I did a lot of different community outreach programs. And one of the programs I worked on was working with doctors about how they communicate to patients, specifically early stage breast cancer patients, because our bias is, okay, we've got cancer. Let's throw everything at this. And that's not wrong. It depends on what your situation is and risk tolerance and a variety of things. But the problem was doctors were talking in numbers and percentages, which didn't translate to quality of life or to realistic, uh, you know, especially early stage breast cancer patients often are, or or can be younger. So how does it impact their family? How does Mm -hmm. it impact their jobs? So of all the projects I worked on, and I was there for about seven years, this project really resonated with me most which was the power of contextualizing information and how this curse of knowledge, a doctor, it's really clear, like, oh yeah, you do this therapy and this therapy and yeah, you're, you're, you know, you have these percentages, but to a patient who's in an emotional state, they don't even pick up on any of that. So I was fascinated by the power of communication and pivoted after I had children and couldn't afford daycare on my, uh, my, um, medical salary to working with, with tech executives and just a wider range of business, uh, folks on communicating. Well, you share a story in the introduction of your book where you like you had switched jobs and you're working for a PR agency and you went to yes. a meeting at an ad agency. Can you share that story and the impact yes. it had on you? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. You really did read the book. Yes. So I, I had been at this hospital in this hospital setting for seven or so years. And then when I had my kids, it was hard to pull it off, but I, I knew I needed to work for emotional and financial and a million reasons. And I took this job that a friend gave me that was in public relations. And I was so excited that I had quote unquote, like a real job versus like, I would show up in sloppy clothes to my, my hospital job. And I was also excited to work with a friend, but I was a little bit nervous. This was totally a new domain for me. And I showed up at the, like very early on within the first month of working together, she brought me onto a client um, offsite. And we were supposed to be doing brainstorming. It was all day. We're supposed to come up with creative ideas for this advertising agency. And the woman who was in charge of the agency said, okay, all ideas are great. No ideas too small. Everyone contribute. It was very rah, rah cheerleader. And I was panicking 
because we were supposed to come up with strategy for this advertising agency. I knew nothing about advertising or, or public relations strategy. So I had thought, well, I'm just going to observe. And it was clear I couldn't just observe. Like everyone had to contribute. There were only probably five or six of us in the room. And I was the clear, quiet, silent observer. And the more time I waited, the more panicked I got. And I just felt this pressure of, I have to contribute. I have to contribute. And finally, the head of the agency said something about, oh, well, we know that social media is working well for the brown and fizzies. And I had no idea what she was talking about, but I thought, okay, here's my chance. I'll speak up. I'll say, I'll ask a question because at least that's contributing in some ways. So I said, what are brown and fizzies? And she made me feel so small. And she was like, oh, the carbonated beverage sector. So I felt like, oh my gosh, I just contributed this thought or this question. And I felt relieved that I was off the hook from being a silent observer. And then I was completely diminished that it was the dumb, obvious question. Now, what's really funny about the story, Angela, is that people who were in that room have read my book and read that story. Because for me, this was a turning point. This was a point where I was like, I can't sit, I can't be a fly on the wall. I need to do my homework. I need to develop courage. I need to contribute. But other people in the room don't remember the story that way hmm. at all. They don't even remember this woman saying Brown and Fizzies. And in fact, one of them said, I still don't know what that means. So it's just amazing to me, just how our fear can really overshadow the reality. And this, that was my reality. I mean, I stand by that story, but it's just interesting how when you're in that moment of panic or when you want to prove yourself, or you feel like it's important to speak up that you can really create fears that are outsized relative to the reality. Yeah. Also, it sounds like a story about shame too, like yes. shame and embarrassment. And when we're embarrassed, we tend to remember those moments because like everything's firing within us. <laughs> it's so true. Exactly. Exactly. It's like my first quote unquote, like business opportunity that was outside the hospital realm. And I felt like I failed and I just was like sleepless for a night thinking I'll never be able, I'll never be good at this, but it was also motivating because I was like, okay, this is my opportunity to really start to find my voice and come up with smart ways of contributing. Yeah. And you mentioned that your boss didn't even really remember that moment. Like you thought no. she was so disappointed. No. <laughs> it's no. like, yeah, you're the only one who was holding on it was to just it. Me. Exactly. Exactly. So, yes. This podcast is all about speaking up. So we have a lot of listeners who struggle with this, who are trying to figure out new strategies to feel comfortable. So you're the perfect guest for this show. Great. And I thought we could start with where you start in the book, which is the reasons that women don't speak up and you mm -hmm. highlight a whole bunch of them and you give some really good, um, you know, scientific reasons for why we're not doing it. Can you name a couple of those reasons? Yeah, there are so many, but a couple that come to mind right away are, we feel like we're, we're not tenured enough. We don't have enough experience. And that was me in that room, the advertising agency. We feel like we have nothing to contribute or nothing additive. Now, looking back on it, I, I didn't really add anything of value, but had I did a little bit of homework and thought like, oh, we're doing an offsite on public relations strategies. If I did even a tiny bit of homework, then I probably could have come up with some idea and some contribution. So I, I think that it's true. I didn't have necessarily a real 
idea to add, but that was also on me and it wouldn't have been that hard to get prepared. So there's that, which is, which is a relatively simple solve, but we don't always look for that solve, but there are much bigger systemic issues too. And one of the things that I talk about a lot, quite a bit in the intro is around being an only, and that's where you are in the room and you're the only one who represents you. And that could be because of your age, your gender, your, your race. It could be your, your personality style. You're introverted and everyone else is extroverted. So it's, uh, there's, there's pretty powerful research. Deloitte has some good research and there's other research in the book that talks about the pressure of being an only in a room. You know, you're representing all the other people who, who are like you and just how challenging it is to break through because we tend to get group think. We tend to get people who are similar in a room and they can just rattle off ideas and support each other. So to really have that courage to speak up when you are different in some ways is hard. Do you have a strategy when you're the, the only in the room and you have something you want to say, like something you can say to yourself or just to make that moment a little easier? Yeah, I think the, the key for me and the key that I talk to my clients about is really to be thinking about others. And I know this is one of your best practices. I loved your list of, of five tips uh, in a recent podcast. And the first one very much aligns with mine, which is audience analysis. And I'll take it in terms of your, your specific question. So often we throw all the energy at us. So going back to that moment where I'm sitting in this offsite, I was panicked and putting pressure on myself. I'm like, you must contribute. You must contribute. You have to add value. And it was very me centric versus if I thought, okay, what does this room need right now? Maybe this room needs to hear from, a, from someone who's brand new and has no clue and is going to say, hey, what if we did this? And so if we can really just reverse it, so take all that energy that we put towards criticizing ourselves and put it out towards the room, towards the audience, towards the listeners and think, what could they learn? What could they benefit? Even if I'm new or different, how could my perspective really add value to this conversation? It's easier said than done, but, um, and I do think that's where it does help to like get into that mindset before you walk in the room and to think you know, before you go do a little bit of research, like you, you recommend in your, in your five steps around what do they need? What's important to them? What are they worried about? And then how can you take your experience or your ideas and meet those needs? Love that. And I like the idea of the research too, especially for introverts to walk in the room with something prepared because I'm an introvert. And I know like if I walk into a meeting and I don't know the agenda, I feel so uncomfortable and like, this is a waste of everyone's time, but it's really just me. Cause I'm not someone who can just <laughs> be able to speak on, on off the cuff like that. Um, right. You know, without being given a little bit of time to think through the ideas. Right. Um, after you list some of the reasons that women don't speak up or, or people don't speak up, you also list some of the benefits of speaking up in addition mm -hmm. to having that, you know, diversity of ideas. What are some other benefits of speaking up? Yeah. So if we take it from a few different scales, you talked about diversity of ideas and that sort of organizationally people benefit. And there's all types of research that talk about innovation and reducing group think or errors caused by group think, or even uh, there's just a uh, ROI, return on investment. So there's all kinds of organizational reasons, but really, I don't think that many people are motivated truly by organizational reasons. <laughs> I think it's got to be a little more personal. So if you take it down a notch and talk about the, your career, uh, 
So regardless of what we think or what we want, we do, most companies exist in an extroverted centric style. And I do think Susan Cain's quiet is such a great book for anyone who's um, introverted. Um, But at this stage, in order to be visible, to be seen as credible and to have a better chance of rising at the corporate ladder, especially in some of the bigger organizations, speaking up is a way of helping your career. So we can argue whether that's right or wrong, but, but at this point in most of the companies I work with, that is true. And there is a lot of research still that people who blog or who write beautiful reports, they're still not getting promoted at the same level as those who can then uh, verbally communicate those same ideas. So that's, that's um, another reason, but then even getting more and even, even closer or more internal is, are just those feelings of satisfaction or a validation or of growth. It doesn't always work out well. I mean, mine did not work out well and it was horrifying for a while. I mean, for certainly days, if not weeks, if not maybe even months, but it did in the long term really motivate me to do my homework, to feel more confident, to see the benefit of external ideas. And that's what we want is those growth opportunities, those feelings of validation, those um, opportunities to know that your ideas counted or your ideas were taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. Hope you have such a nice voice. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, just listen. I'm like, oh, it's so nice to listen to you. Oh. I love that. I just finished recording audio recording my book and it is so it's another time when the inner critic arises because I'm sitting there hearing my voice for four days, reading my book. And I, I have all kinds of thoughts going through my head of like, Oh, I have, a, I have a lisp. I have a, this, I have, you know, so there's all these things that come up that, that we are our, our biggest critics. I, I would say I didn't hear any of that. It's just, it's very nice. You have a very nice voice. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate You're that. Welcome. Well, I'd like to talk about some techniques that you, I mean, you put so many exercises in the book and I'm such a fan of worksheets and handouts. And anytime I can practice something I, I enjoy, cause it's like, that's when you really learn is when you put things into practice and you give so many opportunities for that throughout the book. So I thought we could talk about some of them. Yes. You started out with, um, the topic of pausing and mm-hmm. the importance of that. Can you share the benefit of pausing while speaking and, and a technique to help build the skill? Yes. Yes. So there are so many benefits. And the reason why it's the first chapter is my editor said, you want to, you want to start with a, with a, with a big win. So have people do this chapter, do the exercises and find like, wow, I can really transform part of my, my presentation style by one behavior. And so as you and I both know, the pause, the pause helps for so many reasons. One, it, it helps us it prevents us from over explaining. And I hear this with women a lot where, and myself as well, where we'll share an idea and say, Oh, have you thought about, have you thought about increasing the budget to hire a new person? Because then maybe we could get more work done, but I'm not sure if that's the best thing. So this long explanation of thinking out loud and explaining the the thought process. And when you incorporate regular pauses, you're more likely to be intentional about what you say, less likely to include over explanations or apologies or disclaimers or the filler words, um, uh, like kinda, sorta, you know. 
So the pause, the key to the pause is doing it, what I call proactively, because if you wait until you're about to say, um, or ah, now you've got yourself in this mind mess where you're thinking, oh, don't say, ah, don't say, um, and oh, wait, I got to pause instead. And then it creates this awkwardness. But if instead you share a chunk of information, you pause to let your listener absorb it. Maybe you look for their reaction. Like I see Angela was nodding. Now I know we're on a podcast. So you listeners couldn't see that, but that helps me know, okay, she's tracking with me. She wants me to continue or she understands. But if she had furrowed her brow or leaned in as if she had a question, that would also be my opportunity to think, oh, wait, I should, I should stop and give her the floor. So pausing has so many benefits, but to your, your initial question around like how to do this. One technique that's gotten a lot of play or a lot of attention that I didn't expect it to from the book is this idea of, of using a ball. And there's lots of research that when we do something physical, we can help other behaviors. You know, often if we try to tell ourselves, don't, don't say, um, or pause, we're, we're just going to get ourselves in that case. It's like, it's like, um, trying to say, don't eat chocolate. You know, it's new year's, my new year's resolution. Don't eat chocolate. Don't eat chocolate. Don't eat chocolate. All you want is chocolate. So if instead you do another behavior, if you think like, Oh, around three o'clock, I always want my chocolate. I'm going to, I'm going to start a new habit at three o'clock and walk around the block. So proactively coming up with something physical to do instead of the behavior that you don't want to do. So this ball exercise is just that. So I recommend that people grab a, a squishy ball or a, like a hacky sack ball, or even I take a piece of paper and I crumple it up into a ball. It does a tennis ball. It doesn't, anything will work, but the, most of us have a piece of paper around that we can crumple into a ball and you hold the ball in one hand and you share a statement that's not long, like a short sentence or an idea and in the book, I talk about it as um, the length of time that you would say, Veronica, I give you X, Y, and Z. So that's just a nice, for people who want you know, specifics, it's a good way to learn how long you speak before you pause. It's long enough to share an idea, but not so long that you are boring them to tears or that they don't have time to process. So you share that statement. So it might be, trying to think of a work-related thing. It might be, we should look at our social media strategy to determine what's working and what's not. Now you take the ball once you're done with that statement and you pass it or toss it to your other hand. During that transition, you pause. So that's a time when you do not say a word. So you finish with you know, our social media analysis, what's good, what's working and what's not working. Pass the ball, pause. That way we know how much budget to put into next year's planning and we know where to spend the budget. Pass the ball to the other hand while you pause. So there's, a, there's a, another way you can do that with sticky notes that I describe in the book. But either way, this idea of sharing what I call a digestible chunk of information and then uh, stopping that with a pause or adding a pause and then sharing a second digestible chunk of information will really help you get into the pattern of pausing so that when you do need to use the pause to think or to avoid saying a filler word or to prevent yourself from babbling or rambling on, you've got, you're in the practice of doing it. Mm -hmm. I love it. It sounds fun too, just to be yeah. able to, to try it out. So that's a really great tip. 
Yes. You also talk about the importance of connecting with your audience mm -hmm. and you give techniques for using facial expressions to build mm -hmm. connection. Can you share some of those? I know, especially in a zoom world, like facial expressions are so important. Uh, it is. It's, it's one of those things that I wanted to write this book before the pandemic started. And then I had to put different emphasis in different areas because I don't think we're going to go back to a fully in-person world. And you do see how important those, th the visual is, and we have a very small visual, right? We're seeing each other from the chest up more or less. So the facial expressions are amplified and Many of us, not just women, have those the thinking face or what some people can perceive as the resting bitch face or some version of not something that's not positive. Yeah. So trying to think of how do you uh how do you take inventory? How do you see what you look like on Zoom or on whatever platform you're using and know how it's being perceived? I'd say most people don't know. Most people don't want to watch or listen to themselves. And I highly recommend that you record yourself during an actual meeting. If it's inappropriate to record on Zoom for some reason, it's, you know, it's sensitive information. You can always prop up your, your phone and record yourself, but it's so important to know how are you being perceived? And a good way to do that is to watch with the sound off. So you can get a sense of like, how would I, how would I perceive this person if I didn't know her or him? And what would that, what would I think about them? So, so matching your facial expressions to your intent. If your intent in a meeting is I'm absorbing, I'm listening, I'm learning, then you don't want to be perceived like you have a scowl on your face or that you look bored. So knowing like, what is the intent? And when you're, when you're presenting, if your intent is motivation or your intent is, uh, is to hurry them up, knowing that whatever, it, or, or excitement, joy, um, you're, you're appreciative. You want to make sure that you are conveying that with your face as much as with your words, mm -hmm. because we, as you know, we pick up on that, right? If someone's saying, I'm so proud of you, 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 you did such a great job, but, but your face isn't representing that. <laughs> There's yeah. a real disconnect. And we're like, okay, you know, is that, is that being sarcastic? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When you're the speaker and you're on zoom, are there a couple different things you can do when you first, you know, welcome the audience or just get started to show them that you're someone who's warm and welcoming and open? Yes. Yeah. I think the very first thing you do when you first log on is hide your self view because when you see yourself, it's just like anything we are drawn. It's like when you're, when you're having a lunch at a restaurant or dinner at a restaurant, there's a mirror behind, behind your, your listener. And you're sitting there trying not to look at yourself, but it's hard. We're, we're attracted to that. So it's hard for us to think about our listeners, think about our content and look at ourselves. So hide yourself you. But once you do that, yeah, I, I think that um, there's such an art to that small talk. Um, having a having a, a question is great, and this these can be cheesy, but but it can also be really fun. You know, that first like, what was your first concert, or uh, you know, what's your dream vacation, or even the what are you doing for the holidays? Again, it feels a little, it feels a little um, prescribed, but we do, we do that in person. 
And so if we can think of like, what would be the conversation I would have in the elevator or walking into the office? And can I be more um, intentional about doing that in a Zoom setting? Uh, I, I still feel like very few of us, myself included, have mastered it especially because people log on at different times. And then you're like, okay, am I waiting for everyone? Or am I just having small chat with a couple? And then they come on, Yeah. Uh, but um, also using chat, you know, so like, Hey, you know, putting in chat, we're talking about our, you know, our, our, our most amazing vacation ever, just so people can catch up and then jump in and not feel like, Oh, it's just a conversation with hope and Angela that I can't contribute as well. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I can, think of a couple of times where I've been in the, that one-on-one conversation, like people are popping in and it's like, you keep trying to update everyone as you go, but using the chat, that's a great idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like, Hey, this is what we're talking about. Please share your, share your, share your thoughts too. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, you also talk about the importance of energy and passion mm-hmm. and infusing passion into your speech and voice modulation. So can you talk about the role voice modulation plays in passion and energy and Yes. Yeah. So it's so interesting. Again, this is another zoom, not addition, but zoom emphasis because before, uh, I would really focus on the visual on holding the eye contact when you're in the room and on your body language and some of the things that really mattered more when we were in person. But now since we're, we're two dimensional, we need to use our voice to capture our audience's attention. And there's all sorts of the research is not true, but we talk about the idea of, of our attention spans are as long as a goldfish that has been disputed. It, it's, you know, the, all kinds of, of, uh, it's hard for us to really gauge attention span. And there's so many different factors that go into it, but the point is we know because we've done it and we know because we've been on zooms that people are multitasking and how do we capture their attention? And people mistakenly think, and, and I know you've, you've talked about this as well, people mistakenly think that I'm just going to share information. It's just a meeting. It's just an update. They deprioritize it. Well, every communication you have should have a purpose to inspire, to move forward, to get people on board, to do something that's a little more than simply informing. And the only way we're going to do that is yes, if we share relevance in our content, but first we need to share the energy or the voice inflection to show this is important. And how do I really emphasize a certain point or talk about the relevance to you as a listener or to us as a team and putting some intention, just like we put some intention into the expressions, putting some intention into your vocal modulation and your, your energy is so important when we're trying to get people's, keep people's attention, get them to agree with our ideas or just to engage in some ways. So uh, lots of examples you can find of people who are just so flat and they want to put you to sleep, but the people who have really um, a lot of variation in their voice, good energy in their voice are much more likely to hold our attention. Yeah. I love, I love the exercises you give for just being able to practice using your voice in different ways. And it made me think like, how often am I changing my tone or my volume 
in a given day. It's like, I just kind of talk at the same volume all the time, but reading a children's book in, a, in an enthusiastic manner is such a fun exercise to try and then recording it and hearing like, oh, this is what I could sound like if I was more animated. I think that's so fun. And, yeah. um, do you haven't, do you want to share another exercise from the book about how to use your voice in a different way, just to sort of practice what that's like? Yes. So, so some of these things feel really strange when you're doing them and I'll do them with clients. And if you're reading the children's story, you think this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? I'm not an actress or I'm not a, a kindergarten teacher, but the, the key that you said is recording yourself. Yes. Doing the children's book, but really as importantly, then doing your content as if you're reading it to kindergartners and people are amazed. They were like, Oh, wow. I felt like I was really overdoing it, but it, it actually sounds just right. If not, maybe still a little bit flat. <laughs> so another exercise is the cell, um, celebrate, um, the, um, announcer. So celebrity announcer, I was forgetting the word celebrity. Uh, so <laughs> The other exercise is the um, celebrity announcer. And so that is this idea of, of greeting someone that you can't wait to see that you're so excited about in a way that you would greet as if you're Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey on stage. So you're saying, I can't wait to, to welcome to the stage, Meghan Markle. And you go with a crazy volume and big emphasis on the introduction of this person to show your range, to show, okay, this feels crazy, but again, if I'm, if I'm recording it and then I'm introducing my content in the same way as if I would introduce my, my, um, dream guest, uh, you'll find that it feels weird, but it actually sounds pretty great. Hmm. Speaking of celebrities, you talk about creating a speak up role model or an alternate persona. Mm. <laughs> I love that. And, um, I'd like for you to talk more about what that, what that means, having a speak up role model. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we, so we know as kids, like having been kids and you know, whether you have children or not, your, yours might be too small, but we know that role models are so important in our lives, especially we think back to like elementary school and who we looked up to and we, that we were so impressionable then, but it turns out role models are really important to adults too. And we don't always, we think we've outgrown them or that we don't need them, or we don't even think that we don't even think it's a thing. So there's all kinds of interesting research around. If you have a role model, you're much more likely to perform at a higher, at a higher level. And that's not just for speaking. That's for all kinds of anything that you're doing. So what's really cool about the role model is it could be someone, you know, it could be someone you've worked for or someone who's at your company or someone, you know, in your family or professor, but it could also be someone you don't know. So it could be someone you see on TV. Uh, it could be a, 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 an actress or, you know, a role on a TV show or an actual person, a politician. Although, you know, do we really have any role models for politicians, but it could be someone who's, who's a real life person that you, you've never met, or it could be a composite figure. So where you think like, I'm going to take the body language of this person and the vocal energy of that person and the courage of that person and make it my own composite character. And the one, the example I give in the book is Beyonce. 
goes on stage, she has an alter ego, uh, Sasha Fierce. And that's now a name, you know, name of one of her albums. Or this is Sasha Fierce, something like that. But the idea is she talks about Sasha Fierce is not a real person. It's her alter ego. And it's the parts of her that are the sexiest, the most um, bold, the ones that come on stage to really perform the way she wants to perform. So I'm not saying you need to be sexy or bold, or maybe bold, but you know, it doesn't have to be someone that, you know, sometimes when I ask people, they think, I don't, I don't know anybody. Like I can't think of anybody and that's fine. Like think about the characteristics that you are aiming for. And can you come up, can you draw a picture of this person or, or write out what the, the qualities are uh, and, and name her uh, and become that person or just a channel that person when you are faced with scary uh, communication opportunities. So this is a good, a, a good, uh, homework assignment for the audience to come up with your role model and, and, and make that list. I think that that's also just sounds so fun. Like, I feel like my whole weekend is full now <laughs> exercises from your book. <laughs> that was the intent. Make it fun. Yeah. Who is your role model today? Yeah. So the one I channel is a woman that I describe in the book and I used to work with her. In fact, she was in the room at the Brown and Fizzy moment. So, which is funny. And she just takes on her, her room. She just comes in. And now I know from knowing her well, that this doesn't come naturally to her either, but she just, she channels literally rock star and comes in and is like, I am here to bring my best self to perform in this room. And I am going to come with the consummate energy she's, she's prepared. It's not, she's just not getting by with fake it till you make it, but she really brings this level of presence and a boldness that I admire. So when I get a little scared and I have, I mean, even in this in the last couple of months, I did a, a large uh, virtual keynote and I panicked because it wasn't my typical audience. So I did two things. I thought like, what do they need right now? What's important for them right now? And really get out of my own head. And then I was like, now let me bring my biggest, boldest, most energetic self to that. Uh, and th those two combinations really, it went well, it went great actually. So those, the channeling for me, channeling this actual person uh, is helpful. Um, I love that. And you talk a lot about goals in the book too, which it's always important when you're building a skill is to have something to work towards. And I'm wondering if, if you have like a, a typical list that you would give someone who's brand new to speaking up as the first couple goals that would just be like a good starting point. Yes. I am very big believer in small attainable goals. I think we, uh, there's a quote and I'm not sure who actually said it, but we overestimate how much we can do in a year, but we underestimate how much we can do in 10 years. Now, for some of you, you may think, well, wait a minute, I need to wait 10 years to be a better communicator. And that's not what I'm saying. But the idea is that we need, we, we want to create micro goals or achievable goals. So a couple of things I recommend that everyone, I don't care what level speaker you are beginning, middle advanced is to record yourself. So what that means is you can take your phone. Almost every phone has some version of audio recording in uh, on iPhone products. It's called voice memos and on Android and all the other phones, they have it as well. And if you're in a meeting and you are just your standard team meeting or one-on-one -on -one with your manager or you're meeting with a vendor, whatever it is, if you can audio record the conversation, so it's on your side and you can go back and listen to it. 
you will learn so much. There's this whole difference between how we're feeling in the moment versus how other people hear us. There is also this, this awareness of like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing X, Y, and Z behaviors. So if you can start by doing that regularly, once or twice a week, I'm going to either um, record on it like a Zoom and then rewatch it. The key is you have to rewatch or re-listen or audio record on my phone. You'll then have a much better sense of like, what are the one or two things I want to start working on? And that's the, that's the second critical piece is you don't want to have the inner critic come up and think I need to work on 25 things, you know, before you <laughs> listen or watch, think like, how would my best friend listen or watch this? Or how would my mother, or how would my mentor or my, my boss? And so make sure that you view it from a, from a more, from a less critical space mm-hmm. and then identify one or two things that you're going to work on to improve. I like it. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. (laughs) Exactly. One of the biggest areas of, I guess, um, procrastination with people I work with or members of speaker sisterhood is actually sitting down and writing a speech. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they, they know that they have a speech coming up, they know what the topic is, but they just can't bring themselves to write it. And what I've found is creating a template that is easily repeatable makes that process easier. Yes. And, um, but you know, you have to use the template. <laughs> That's the, the tricky part, but I know you share a speak up structure tool in your, mm. in your book about how to, you know, build a simple structure for your speech. Can you talk about that and maybe offer yeah. some tips? Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you is, is structure helps us so much. And it's, um, it's like trying to boil the ocean when all of a sudden we have a speech and we're like, what are we going to do? What am I going to talk about? But uh, you know, most of us in this in this world and most people who have, have, have listened to communication best practices know about the power of threes. And so when you, the structure tool talks about, or, or really helps you to divide your content into three parts. And so it's quite simple. It's uh, just setting up your context at the beginning and then dividing your topic into three parts. And it almost, this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but it almost doesn't matter what the three parts are as much as it is the idea of like, let me play around with three distinct parts so that I can then do a quick and dirty rehearsal. I can take this, this tool where it's the context at top, it's the three bodies of information or the three different parts, and then it's the summary or next steps at the bottom. And if you can write that out, there's a, there's a, um, template on my website, hopetimberlake.com slash resources. I think if you just go to hopetimberlake.com, you can find it. Uh, and I can give you, give it the exact URL for you, for your speaker notes, but the, um, if you can write it out, like, okay, a couple words for the context, a couple words for the bodies, each of the different, you know, bodies of information, a couple words for next steps. And now before you do anything else, you say it out loud and ideally again, audio record yourself. And then you can decide, okay, as I say it out loud, I call that the, the 90 second game. As I say my whole entire speech in 90 seconds, is that, are those the right three areas? Was I spending too much time on one area and not another? Does that mean that that one area actually is more important than just one area and really needs to be two areas and the other two areas need to be combined or one can be thrown away? So it's a nice way of refining and tweaking while really moving forward in, in developing your, your ideas. I love it. It's so simple. 
again, yeah, yes. simple is great. Yeah. Big believer in simplicity. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately we have to wrap up. Do you have any last words of advice for helping listeners speak up? Yeah, I think be kind to yourself, be prepared and focus on one or two things that you can do to improve each time. And of course, going back to the original thing of record and listen, record and listen, record and listen. It's the best way to improve. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us more about your book and where to find it? Yes. So uh, it's a very exercise driven book, as we've discussed. Uh, it's available on Amazon, or you can go to my website, hopetimberlake.com. And uh, it's, it's also, it's right now as an, available as an ebook or as a, as a paperback book, and soon will be available as an audiobook. I can't wait. Yes. <laughs> You'll hear yeah, my voice for hours. <laughs> yeah. It was so hard to put questions together for this interview because I, I could have interviewed you for six hours. There's so much in your book. We, we barely scratched the surface. And so for everyone listening, if you felt like what hope shared was helpful, that was just the, like the starting point of all the great exercises and advice she offers throughout. So definitely worth picking up this book and I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. So hope thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing your expertise and just doing this amazing work. It's great. Thank you for the amazing work you're doing and for inviting me on. I hope you loved today's show. If you did, a great way to say thanks is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It takes around 30 seconds and it's a great way to say thanks. My music was created by Kelly Vogel and the show is produced in the Glitter Closet in Western Massachusetts. Well, that does it for me this week, my friends. As always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.